So as Trevor said, the reading is taken from Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21 and going on to verse 40. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the Lord required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know if you have a list in your mind of things that you would like to do Maybe, well, this year is kind of running out, so, but before you die, let's say before you die, is there one thing you would love to do? For many, it's different, it's different things. Somebody would, some of you might want to meet a famous person. To tell you the truth, that wouldn't uh, do much for me, but um, for you, it might be a great thing. Others of you might want to visit the Holy Land. Some of you have done that this year. Others might want to go to the Great Wall of China. For others, it might be jumping out of an aeroplane. Not quite sure, Karen, why anybody would want to do that in their lifetime. I don't have a head for heights. Or maybe something like going to Marowishes might be more my thing than jumping out of an aeroplane. Or maybe some of you want to climb a famous mountain. There's such a a list of things that there may be one thing that you would love. I'd love to actually hear from you afterwards over the cup of tea. One thing that you would love to do if it was possible for you 
to do it. The list is endless of, of what things, things people would like to do before uh, they retire or before they get too old or whatever it may be. Simeon had such a list, but only one thing on his list. And on it was that he wanted to see the promised Messiah, the Son of God, before he died. And he, he leaps from the pages of Scripture in the Christmas story in a dramatic fashion. We, Narelle read to us from uh, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. Uh, and, and the great thing about Luke, uh, he was a doctor. And, well, most doctors are very good at keeping records. And uh, in his profession, you had to get all the details right. And he did this about Jesus' birth. First, we read that uh, Jesus was to be circumcised after the eighth day. This was in fulfilling with the Levitical law. Every Hebrew male had to be circumcised. And this was procedure was what set the Jewish people apart. And even though Jesus was Hebrew by birth, he underwent circumcision to identify with his people. And it was at this rite that he would, that the baby would be named. Now remember that earlier in the chapter, Mary and Joseph had been visited by an angel and they had been told that they were to call uh, the baby Jesus. We, we give our children a name and a name is special. And sometimes it's, it's a name that means something to the parents. Uh, sometimes it's honoring a generation that's gone before. Uh, I don't want to insult anybody, but sometimes I quite can't understand. In, in our family, we had an uncle George, and his son was called George. And it got known as old George or young George. So whichever one you were talking about, you had to say young George or old George. And old George is now dead. Young George is now in his 50s, and he's still known as young George whenever you're talking to him. So anyway, that's just, that's just by the by. But Jesus is a special name. Jesus means Jehovah. Jehovah is deliverer. And you see, when Mary and Joseph named Jesus, I imagined when they looked at that babe in their arms, they remembered the visit of the angel in the words of the angel, they knew that this was no ordinary baby. They knew that this was a special baby. That this was their own deliverer, the Savior, the Messiah. And Jesus is a name that means a lot to us as well. It is the name that is above every name. I suppose before I continue, I'd like to stop and ask you today, does the name Jesus mean anything to you? Is the name Jesus special to you? Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, because he wants to be your deliverer. He wants to be your savior. Three important things were taking place here as we read this passage in accordance with uh, the Old Testament law. Number one, every baby was required to be circumcised on the eighth day. We read about this here in this um, likely this took place at home. The birth mother was required to wait 40 days before presenting herself at the temple for her purification. And also, thirdly, the law also required that the mother 
and Father, present their firstborn son before the Lord to be redeemed by offering a sacrifice. It's likely that the purification and um, the redemption, the sacrifice took place on the same day in Jerusalem. That was allowed. Now you have to step back a little and realize something profound here. What Mary and Joseph were doing was what every devout Jewish family did. And we know the scripture tells us of the great faith of Mary and Joseph. It, it was why they were chosen, because of their faith. God knew that they would faithfully care for his son in this way. But let's remember, in the eyes of, of, of everyone else, they were just common. They were just an ordinary couple coming to the temple. It is likely that this is occurring in the court of the women because that's the only place a woman was allowed to enter. And you'll notice from our reading that Narelle read to us that Mary and Joseph presented two turtle doves for sacrifice. A lamb was required, but if the family couldn't afford a lamb, turtle doves were acceptable. And this tells us that Mary and Joseph were poor. Joseph had a job as a carpenter, but they were very heavily taxed. Stop and think about it for a moment. Look at the characters of Christmas. Who did Jesus descend upon? He came to the common, ordinary, everyday faithful people. He used shepherds to announce his birth. He chose a lowly stable to be born. He chose ordinary parents in Mary and Joseph. So you say to yourself that Jesus doesn't understand where I'm at, my condition. You might say just Jesus doesn't know my needs. And I say to you that Jesus does. He didn't come to a palace. He didn't announce his birth on the RT News or Jerusalem News or whatever news there was at the time. He didn't have a website or TikTok or Facebook or any of those things. And we've seen, and I'm sure you're the same, you've seen so many nativity scenes in our lifetime and we think that this first Christmas was romantic and it was wonderful, but it was the most wretched of circumstances that our Savior was born. It, it was in conditions that you and I would shudder if you had to have a baby born in such circumstances. Jesus came to the meek and to the lowly. He came to people who were ready. Christmas today has been turned into a multi-million dollar euro sterling industry, whatever currency you want to put on it, even Ugandan shilling. Every country in the world stops to celebrate Christmas. And often as Christians, we like to whine and complain that the stores don't say Merry Christmas, but in Jesus' time, there was no celebration. Nobody was ready for the Messiah to be born. Herod was caught off his guard. The rich and powerful didn't even know what had happened. The ruling powers in the world of Rome to Asia had no clue. Even the religious elites in the temple, they didn't see anything significant about this baby that was presented to them. 
He was just one more baby coming through, a peasant couple, a peasant child born to peasant, peasant parents. People had an expectation of the Messiah, but I'm sure they were looking in the wrong place. They were looking at the wealthy. They were looking at the palaces, those who could afford lambs for sacrifice. It seemed that nobody was ready for the coming of the Messiah, nobody except a few devout people. The Magi from the East, they were ready. The shepherds were ready. And in Jerusalem, there was a few folks who were waiting for the Messiah. They had studied the scriptures and the prophecies. And rather than advocate the overthrow of Rome, they met and silently prayed and lived lives of godliness. Among these were a man named Simeon and a woman named Dana. Two unrelated people, but common ordinary people who would otherwise not be notable in history. But because of their faith, they leap onto the pages of Jesus, the story of Jesus' birth. In fact, the word used to describe Simeon's anticipation and Anna's longing is a word that means they were alert to his appearance and ready to welcome him. Who was Simeon and what was he saying? We, we don't know much about this guy, Simeon. Some have speculated that he was a priest, but we're not even sure about that. But I suspect he was just a common, average, hard-working Jewish man of his age. Most people think he was up in years, given the ease at which he is ready to say that he was ready to die. But we're not even told that. But Luke, Luke records the entrance into the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. We may not know where he is from or what his occupation was, but we know the important things that we need to know about Simeon. We know that he was just and he was devout. And we know that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is to say, he was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit, which selectively came upon people in the Old Testament period, was upon Simeon and revealed to him uh, that he would not die until he saw Jesus. Again, stop here and consider this. God's plan doesn't follow our script. Who was it that got the inside information on the most important news to the Jewish nation? Was it Herod the king? Was it the chief priest? Was it Nicodemus? No, it was poor, faithful, godly Simeon. Who does God look for? He looks for the faithful. You can't control where you're at or how you get promoted, but you can be faithful to God. Imagine the scene here. If Simeon was told this, I am sure he waited for years and years and years. Now we reckon he's an old man, but every day he comes to the temple expecting the Messiah. The religious people probably think he's a bit weird or he's eccentric. They mock him, and yet he believes. And you can see him every day, he's scanning the crowd. He looks for young couples with babies. And I imagine he asks, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but I imagine he asks, Lord, is this the one? And I'm sure the Lord says, no, Simeon, not this one. It was a bit like, you remember, when Samuel was choosing the future king of Israel, and he looked at, the, at all of uh, Jacob's sons. 
And then one day he sees this peasant family walk in with their baby. He said, God, is this the one? And the Holy Spirit whispers to him, yes, yes, that's the one. Nothing extraordinary marked Joseph or Mary out of, as being the parents of the Messiah. Nothing marked the baby in any, any special way. And yet this baby was the son of God, the hope of Israel, the perfect sacrifice for sin. And then we have Simeon's song. Imagine how Simeon's aging heart must have leapt within him. And he holds the baby. Imagine him asking and this couple letting him hold the baby. Kind of hold your baby and we hear. Shares that song that has been repeated through the ages and in Church of Ireland circles we know it as the Nunc Dimittis. Now, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace. According to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. What a song. Simeon had now achieved the one thing that was on his list that he wanted to do before he died. Another question, if I may ask you today. Have you seen the sun? If you have, you are ready to die. In fact, I dare say that until you're ready to die, you're not ready to live. David prayed, Lord, teach me to number our days so we may apply our hearts to wisdom. If you've met the Messiah, you know that you can leave this earth in peace. And Simeon did. Simeon's word contains powerful truths about the gospel. First he says, my eyes have seen salvation. You see, salvation is not a thing or a religious word. Salvation is a person. That person is that little baby Jesus who grew up to be a man who became sin for you and for me. Simeon knew he wasn't just a light for the Jews. He was a light for the entire world. You see, Israel's purpose was to be God's light to the unbelieving nations. And so in the gospel of Christ, the story of the Christmas is not a Jewish story, a Gentile story, or an Irish story, but a story for all mankind. Jesus didn't come just for a select few. He came for all mankind, all who would believe in him. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's why the Christmas story isn't just about a few Jewish people 2000 years ago. It's about you. Jesus came to this earth for you and for me. To the weary couple, Mary and Joseph, these were affirmation of their mission. Mary and Joseph didn't celebrate Christmas just once a year. They lived it their entire lives. And see in Simeon's words were both encouragement and also a sober reminder of exactly what they had signed up for. And Jesus, Simeon said, was for the rising, we see that in our reading today, that um, 
Simeon said, was for the rising and the falling of many. It, we read there that Jesus' life and message would divide people. If you study his life, you will find that there are those who believed in Jesus, but there's those who rejected him. And today it's the same. People either accept him or reject him. And we go on to read that the sword would pierce Mary's own soul. She lived her whole life knowing that he, her baby, Jesus, would be cruelly crucified. Remember, she was there at Calvary as the ugliness of sin was spilled out. And even though she knew Jesus had to do this and was her saviour, she also wept because he was her son. Nobody weeps for a suffering child more than the mother. Mary's life was one of continual sacrifice. She gave up her anonymity, her reputation, her own son, but she did it for God. Mary wasn't perfect, she was a human. Mary wasn't a perpetual virgin, but Mary, she was this, she was a faithful, devout woman after and of God. But Simeon wasn't the only one who was awaiting the Messiah. There was this lady named Anna. Who is she? Well, we read there that she is a prophetess. That is to say she declared the word of the Lord. And a prophet or prophetess is especially gifted by God to interpret God's word. Sometimes foretelling in prediction and other times interpreting what God has already said. We know here that it said she's from the tribe of Asher, one of the ten scattered tribes of Israel. Apparently she had found her way back to Jerusalem and we know that she was a widow. She was married for seven years and now she's 84. If you could think of the most insignificant type of person to herald the birth of the Son of God, you would not go farther than Anna. She was a woman which women weren't highly regarded in those days. She was also a widow and widows were often not taken care of. There was no social safety net. She was from the tribe of Asher, really a foreigner in Israel. And yet Anna was the first evangelist. You might say, what? That's right, it says there in verse 38. She said she spread the news of the Messiah to people who were like-minded in looking to him. So Anna was the first evangelist. I find her story compelling and rich. You know, that's why I believe the Bible. Man couldn't make up this story. And of all the people to choose as the first herald of the gospel, I don't think he would have chosen Anna. You see, the Bible always exalts women. The Bible affirms strong and devout women. Look at the people Jesus surrounded himself with. He raised up women and gave them dignity and respect. Twelve women are mentioned around uh, the ministry of Jesus and Anna is one of them. She used her life and her position for God's glory. She spent every day in the temple praising God. In spite of her circumcises, in spite of the sense that she was a widow, in spite of the corruption of the religious system at the time, in spite of the swirling tension within Rome, Anna had her eyes fixed on God and was in attendance at the temple for the presentation of the Son of God. 
and I see people like Anna in our church. I think of the faithful women for who have years held this church together by their prayers and their faithfulness. And you can remember some of those people who are still with us. You can remember some of those people who have, have gone to glory. And one of those faithful people who is still with us, not with us in person this morning, is Sissy Sparks, who tomorrow will begin her 100th year. She'll be 99 tomorrow. I'm inspired by such people who have been in this church throughout the years. I'm inspired by them. They are a testimony by their life and by their witness. And know this, God sees you. Whether you're a male or a female, you are important to him. As important as anyone else in the kingdom. As we close, as we look at the lives of Anna and Simeon, we learn powerful messages for our own lives. God visits the humble. The other name for Jesus, Emmanuel, means God with us. You see, we know a God who is with us. He visits us in our lowest state. And as you read the Christmas story, you see the people that God chose to visit. Lowly shepherds, foreign dignitaries, ordinary lay people, a peasant couple, a widow from the tribe of Asher. These are the people that God uses. And so we can find ourselves in this story. God is with us. He is not just with the mighty and the powerful. He is with each one of us this morning. We too should faithfully anticipate the coming of Jesus, just as Anna and Simeon faithfully anticipated the coming of Jesus against all the odds of the time. The logic, the skepticism, and so we cling to the hope, and that's why we light one of the candles for his second coming. Can you imagine people saying to Simeon and Anna, would you ever give it up? Jesus is not coming. Look, it's been thousands of years, hundreds of years, and he's not here. And people say the same thing today. He's not coming. Well, my friend, one day he is coming. And we, if we're still alive, we will get to see him come back in all his glory and all his splendor. So we wait and we believe. A little bit, bit, little bit more morbid this Christmas time with a question I'm going to ask. Are you ready to die? It's not a morbid question, really. It's a hopeful question. I personally don't want to leave this earth just yet. I hope I'm around for another couple of years or more. But I know that my Redeemer lives. Anna and Simeon saw the Messiah and could pass into eternity. My prayer for each one of you as I conclude my ministry in the next couple of months as rector of this place my prayer is that you know the Messiah. You know Jesus as your Savior. Be ready to meet him. 
If he was to come back this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow, are you ready to meet him? Because if you're ready to die, you're ready to live. And finally, what's on your wish list? When I asked you that question in the beginning, I wonder what was on your wish list. I wish I could get into everybody's mind and see what was on their wish list. For Simeon, it was all about Jesus. For Paul, his only goal was to know Christ more. Is that yours? What's on your wish list? Is it the likes of Woodbrook behind us that those people would come to know Jesus as their Savior? I pray that on your wish list that it's all about Jesus. Yes, you can do those other things too. God is not a spy sport. My prayer is that on your wish list you want to see people come to know and love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He, he should be the reason for your living. Amen. Let's pray. Father God.